Yo, yo, welcome to this week's episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic, and I am joined by my pal, a recent guest on the show. Had to bring him back because last time was such a good episode, and I thought it'd be appropriate to have him help me out with today's subject matter, Justin Russo, aka Fly By Night. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How you been? Uh, I've been battling some sickness. Uh, it feels like every time I'm starting to get sick, they go on the road, and that just makes it worse. Uh, but outside of that, I'm I'm good. Uh, doing better than the Clippers are, uh, I will say. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to put too much stock in this Cleveland win. I, I want to see it tonight against Orlando. I want to see it in New Orleans. I want to see it on this six-game road trip. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned right now. I'm not going to lie, but uh, that's that's probably a topic for a different podcast. Yeah, uh, the only thing I took from that Cleveland win was was effort. That was the big thing for me. Yeah, and and Zubats. So we could start <laughs> with him if you really wanted to. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we should start at the top with Kawhi. Um, so right. for people who have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, we are going to be doing mid-season grades for all 15 roster players. Uh, I today, or This is currently Thursday, early afternoon. I have a story coming out on Friday uh, uh, grading each clipper, uh, you know, each of the 15 guys. Um, so let's start with... Uh, so I'm actually debuting my grades here before my story even comes out. Uh, so you, you guys get the good stuff. Um First guy, I, I think it's appropriate to start with this guy. Um, Kawhi Leonard, a.k.a. fun guy, a.k.a. board man gets paid, a.k.a. Mr. Load Management. Um, what is your grade for Kawhi Leonard? So I gave him an A-. minus. Okay. Because <clears throat> the more I think about it, I couldn't give him an A+, plus because I think A+, plus is like for the tippy, tippy top, basically. Like Giannis would be an A+. Plus. The thing... The reason it's an A minus is it's not even the fact he's missed a couple games due to load management or injury management or anything like that. There's just been games where he hasn't been at his peak, and that happens to everyone. Everyone in his like no one's at their peak all 82 games of the season. Uh, but he he's had I'm not going to call them stinkers, but he's had less than stellar performances. But I also think he hasn't been as great on the defensive end as the numbers suggest he's been great, but I've also noticed he's been blown by quite a bit on the perimeter, which I shouldn't even say quite a bit. He's been blown by sometimes on the perimeter and he's made up for it with his intelligence and his ability to reach his hand in to poke a dribble loose and all that kind of stuff. But I just give him an A minus because to be honest, he's been great. He's like, he's, it's hard to fault anything. And I feel kind of weird whenever I, I guess, criticize anything he does. Because it makes it sound like I'm just hating on him for no reason. <laughs> but I mean, look, stars aren't infallible. Like you are allowed to criticize him for certain things. If he has a bad turnover, I'm going to call it out. Or if he doesn't hustle enough, I, I'll say it. But I gave him an A- minus because I feel like that was the grade that he deserved, at least for the first half of the season. I, we're, we're in agreement here, but I gave him an A. And the reason I gave him an I, I think based on purely his performance, I would give him an A minus. The reason I gave him an A is just because of how important he's been to the team. And I think he's been, I mean, it's not, you know, breaking news here that he's their best player and their most important player. 
but I think the gap between him and Paul George has been bigger than even I thought it was going to be. And mm-hmm. really just the gap between him and the rest of the team where, um, you know, they're, they're 23 and eight with him five and five without him. Uh, and I really think that's kind of shown where you, we only see the peak version of this team with Kawhi Leonard, which of course makes sense, but like that version with Kawhi has been so, so good. You know, that that's been all their impressive wins pretty much have been with him. And then without him, this is, basically a 500 team um you know now some of those games have been without paul george so maybe they'd be a little bit better if pg were healthy the whole time and, and there was no Kawhi. but like you know the, the you know Kawhi takes this team from in my opinion a low tier playoff team and, and really maybe not even a playoff team if the bottom of the west wasn't so bad this season um and, and makes them you know arguably the favorites or at least to me uh, you know clearly a top three team uh you know he's posting career highs and rebounds and assists I think we've seen a, a dip in his efficiency because he's kind of had to be that point guard, like primary ball handler that he hasn't really played, you know, in San Antonio and Toronto next to the you know, point guards like Tony Parker and, and Kyle Lowry. Um, so there's been more of a offensive burden on his shoulders, you know, career high usage percentage in the regular season. Um, I mean, I think the things to knock him for kind of along the lines of what you were saying to me, it's it's the ball dominance and some of the the stagnation where he's a very ISO heavy player and he's so damn good at it. He can create his shot in almost any circumstance against any type of coverage, any defender. Like we've seen him score on anybody, you know, effortlessly all season. Uh, just the way he tends to play, especially when the ball is in his hands more because they don't have a point guard. Uh, there are just times where when his shot isn't falling and we've seen it, especially earlier in the season, he had that kind of stretch against like Utah, San Antonio, Portland, where he started those games terribly. And, you know, around halftime or like through the third quarter, I think was shooting, you know, like 30, you know, 20 or 30 something percent in in all three games. And then just went on this fourth quarter barrage. And I think that's kind of been the Kawhi Leonard experience where he's had these stinkers. Like you said, he's had these poor shooting performances, but then, for five or six minutes, he can just kill you and, and, and with a stretch that really, I think no one else in the league can kind of produce other than maybe James Harden. But, but he, even Harden kind of has his, I think, offensive limitations where like when Kawhi's rolling, I, I really think he, he might be the best scorer in, in basketball, um, you know, right now with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant out. Uh, so to me, I, I think, you know, splitting hairs here, but I, I would say on based on his performance alone, I would give him an A minus. But because of how valuable he's been to this team, especially on the defensive end, even more so on the defensive end than the offensive end, even though, like you said, he hasn't been perfect defensively. Um, I think he's been better last season than he was in Toronto. And just because of his overall impact on the team, uh, to me, he's been a top five player this season, uh, if not top three, even with the load management stuff. And I'm giving him an A. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned his defense. The Clippers are 6.6 points per 100 possession better defensively with him on the, fl- on the floor as opposed to off. And honestly, that matches the eye test. Because when he's off the floor, they try to do some things that you wouldn't... Like, they play zone quite a bit. Uh, well, it's like, you know... And it makes sense because when you're without one of the game's best defenders, you have to try to patchwork everything else in or when he's gone. And maybe to some degree, that's why the games he's missed might actually be helpful to some degree, 
because it's allowed other guys to have to pick up the slack defensively when he's not there. And maybe that bodes well for the postseason when he sits out, maybe he gets in foul trouble during the game and you have to play an eight minute stretch without him. And, but you know what? Those guys now have the experience without him. However, their defense is just so much better with him on the floor, no matter what I think of his individual defense for the season, he's clearly making an impact on the team. And he's one of the game's preeminent difference makers. They're 13 points better per 100 possessions with him on compared to off, which is astronomically far and away the lead of the team. Like the next highest, I believe, is Patrick Beverly, like plus 3.8. And it just tells you how important he is. And more to your point, he did have those stinkers early in the season because over the last 15 games, he's performed a lot better. Over his last 15, he has a 61 true shooting percentage. And he's upticked in his uh, field goal percentage inside eight feet. In his first 16 games of the season, it was 51%. Over the last 15 games, it's been 68%. And his three-point percentage jumped from 31% to 41% in that time. So I think, look, Doc has said he looks like he's getting healthier. Kawhi said he feels healthier. I generally just think this is the guy who played himself into shape. He didn't play at all during the offseason. You and I have discussed that before. That was The first half of this season was just his training camp, probably. And now we've seen the last several weeks what Kawhi Leonard looks like when he's in full game shape. And it's pretty scary. Well, and that's a good point that we haven't even really touched on that much is like, you know, he's he's been kind of doing this all while load managing, you know, resting back to backs, clearly not being 100 percent. You know, his explosion really has, has been different night to night. You know, some nights his jumpers a little short. Some nights he's getting into the paint and, and, you know, not really exploding. And then you do have the kind of every once in a while he busts out the dunk uh, on someone's head. So I, I think, you know, with while also factoring that in that he's clearly not 100 percent, you know, whether that's managing the injury or just playing himself back into shape or, or some combination of both. You know, he, he's done this at less than 100 percent and still been, you know, I, I think clearly a top five, six player in the league. Uh, the, the fact that he's been able to do that, um, I, I really think just speaks to his, his skill, his talent, his ability, and overall just how good he's been this season. Um, so I, I think, you know, A, A minus, whatever you want to give him, I, you know, pr- pretty similar there. Uh, let, let's get into Paul George, who earned for me the, the second highest grade. Now, multiple guys got this grade. So, you know, you know, it's, I'm not saying he's second overall, even though I think he has been the second best player. Um for me, I, I gave Paul George an A minus. Um, I'm guessing if you gave Kawhi an A minus, Paul might be a little bit lower. Uh, but for me, I think similarly to the Kawhi situation, like if there's a gap between Kawhi and everyone else, for me, there's a clear gap between Paul and everyone else. And I think he's, he's been LA's you know second best player and second most important player. Um, he hasn't been the number three finisher and MVP that he was last season, but on a per 36 level, his numbers are actually almost identical to his OKC numbers from last season. Uh, to me, he's still clearly a top 10 guy in the league. Um, you know, he had that crazy stretch, you know, when he came back from the double uh, shoulder surgeries where he had 70 points in t- his first two games. Um, also had that 46 point performance in Minnesota. He had begun to to slip up a little bit. You know, he was going through that six or seven uh, kind of rough game, rough patch before he got injured, um, you know, a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but look, Paul is, you know, something that no, we don't really talk about enough with him. 
Um, something I talked about on, on the Fox Sports pregame show, you know, like a month or so ago, like he's the best high volume three point shooter in the league currently with Steph Curry out. Um, and, and he's really been in that conversation. Like Steph is on his own stratosphere where he's just a freak, an alien, uh, an anomaly. But for normal people, Paul George, if you just look at, you know, in terms of top 10 in attempt, you know, attempts and makes, Paul George is in that mix um, on a per 36, you know, and per minute level. And he's shooting the best three-point percentage of those guys in that top eight to 10. So really, I think he's had a great impact on the Clippers offense in terms of getting them to not only take, but, you know, make and shoot a better three-point percentage. Um, you know, they're averaging two more three-point attempts per 100 possessions and shooting 4.4% better with him. Uh, and you've actually seen the biggest difference in the corners where because of Paul George's play in the pick and roll, because of his gravity, because of just the attention he commands, especially alongside Kawhi, Clippers are getting a lot more open corner threes with him. Uh, now, my two criticisms for Paul would be defensively, he has not been the same level um, that he even was last season where he finished third in defensive player of the year. He's someone who gets beat off the dribble a lot. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's really kind of been jarring sometimes where um, I'm trying to think, uh, I want to say it was, it was the Knicks game, uh, which was one of the last games he played in. Might, might have actually been the last game he played in. Uh, where RJ Barrett was just, I mean, and RJ Barrett's, you know, a good young player and, and, you know, he's a solid offensive player, but he was just beating Paul off the dribble continually in that game. And, you know, it was something at first I was like, maybe he's going to get better at this. Like, you know, he's, he's rusty. He hasn't played, you know, basketball consistently in months. Um, but he has not, to me, been a, a good on ball defender. Off the ball, you see the length, you see the anticipation, you see the IQ. He can, you know, he can play that free safety role. He can, he can roam, he can help and recover out to shooters, but um, you know, specifically on the ball, I think he struggled a bit. And then I think he's been a little too deferential and, and passive at times where, you know, it's one thing when it's Kawhi because Kawhi is so good and, you know, he's the alpha, he's the team's best player. He's the go-to guy, whatever. But I feel like PG's almost been, def, uh, you know, deferential to Lou and Trez sometimes, you know, even in the games when Kawhi has been out where it's like, if Kawhi's out, like you're the guy, you, you should be the number one option. You should be taking the most shots. You should be scoring the most points. And that has happened to an extent, but I do feel like he's been like almost too comfortable sometimes letting Lou run the show, you know, let, letting the Lou Trez pick and roll dominate things and kind of just being off to the side. And, and that's been something that's kind of been a criticism of him throughout his career um, that he isn't always the most aggressive guy. Um, and maybe this is the one situation where, He's with multiple 20-point scorers, so it's kind of okay if he does that. But I would like to see Paul be a little bit more aggressive. Um, that being said, you know this team is elite when he and you know Kawhi play together, 14-4, and four, plus 10.7 net rating. Um, and to me, Paul is clearly an all-star, uh, and I think he should be in consideration for the All-NBA third team. Uh, the, the game's missed is going to hurt him, and maybe he doesn't make it. But to me, he's been you know a top 10 to 15 guy this season. Yeah, so I gave him a B plus um, because, like you said, I gave Kawhi an A minus. I wasn't going to put Paul at the same grade. The, the interesting thing is, as you mentioned, <clears throat> the last seven games have not been great for him, and it and it could be because of the hamstring that he tweaked or anything like that. It could just be a bad stretch. Like he's a shooter. At the end of the day, Paul George is a shooter, as you said. He's one of the best high volume shooters in the league, if not the best. He's taking 9.2 three-point attempts per game, which is on a, which in and of itself is staggering, but he's making 39.5% of them. 
And he's been a knockdown catch and shoot guy, which the Clippers need because as much as it was ballyhooed and talked about prior to the season that they have these shooters, some of their shooters have underperformed, but Paul George hasn't. He's been as advertised. So not having him out there, you've seen the impact with the lineup and with the spacing and with how teams have chosen to defend other actions that the Clippers run. Um, Over those last seven games, he's got about a 50 true shooting percentage, I believe. And in his first 19 games, it was 61 and a half. He was really killing it. Uh, The defense has been slightly better with him off the floor, which also doesn't mean much because I believe the Lakers defense has been better with Anthony Davis off the floor and you know, that does it, they're just numbers. They don't really tell the whole story. But as you said, Kawhi Leonard's been beat off the dribble a little bit, but Paul George has been the biggest culprit among the two of them when it comes to getting, uh, I won't say roasted, because that implies he's been bad defensively, but people have taken advantage of him. R.J. Barrett did it. Dennis Schroeder did it in the OKC game. It's happened several times throughout the season, and, you know, I keep I hate to keep saying as you said, but as you said, I thought it was something that would go away as he played himself into shape, and maybe it will. Maybe he's not fully into game shape yet. He's had to stop and start a couple times. You know, he came back from the injury. Then there's been this, and it's kind of been like, okay, like when is he actually going to be fully raring to go? And you know, the team's going to be healthy and making this run, and it hasn't happened yet. But maybe it's a rust thing, and maybe it's him just getting comfortable with everybody else. It's been pretty glaring that he's taken a backseat at times to Lou and to Trez and uh, even sometimes to Kawhi, where I think that Paul should be more assertive because I think he's the more natural of the score between the two of them. And I he's think Paul freaking George. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think I do think he's a better scorer than Kawhi Leonard. He's a better shooter. I think he has an innate ability to get to his spots. I mean, Kawhi Leonard does as well, but I think Paul George's length, and I'm not going to say he's Kevin Durant, but he has some of the same aspects. He's tall. He's lanky. He can get to spots. He has great stops and starts. He's great hesitations. He's able to be a great spot-up shooter. He's able to pull up off the dribble from three. He can do all of these things. The biggest glaring weakness to me has been his pick and roll passing. It has been the one thing out of him more so than the defense. And at times when he's been beat off the dribble, but the pick and roll passing has honestly, a lot of the time just infuriated me because he's tried to make passes that aren't there. And it's a very interesting contrast between this guy who has been complacent and stands out there while Lou and Trez do their thing. And then at other times we'll try to force the ball places that it shouldn't go. I've seen him do this with Zubat several times. He's done it with Harrell. He'll, he'll either try to just thread the needle with a bounce pass that isn't there, or he'll try a wraparound that's not there. You know, in OKC, one of the best things he had going for him were skip passes. He was able he was able out of the pick and roll to make skip passes adequately to the corner. And I feel like that's something he should be able to do with this team, with the spacing and the guys available. So it's going to be interesting as the season goes along for him to see how he handles uh, the different personnel uh, especially because now he'll he'll have gotten used to everyone on the team and just see how he, I guess, evolves into the guy that the Clippers thought they were getting. And he's been great. I don't want to sit here and be like, you know, Paul George hasn't been good. He's been incredible. He's been everything that I hoped he would be, but I wish it was a little bit more, and that's probably coming. So I gave him a B-plus for the season so far with the optimistic outlook that he's going to get to an A-level 
by the time he's healthy and everything's put in the past with the hamstring stuff. Let's get into Trez now. Uh, Trez is someone that it was kind of hard for me to grade. I mean, you can look, you can make the case that everyone on this team is hard to grade just because of the lack of continuity, the guys in and out of the lineups and in different rotations. But Trez was on, on paper. I was like, okay, well, you know, his counting stats are better. It seems like he's gotten better. I just feel like he's more reliable night to night. Um, you know, last season it felt like he'd have, you know, a, a 20 point night, a 25 point night, a 28 point night, and then like an eight point stinker. And, and, and this season, it seems like he's consistently kind of been 15 plus points every night. Um, and just overall, I feel like there, he's added some nuance to his game. I think he's, he's more skilled offensively than people give him credit for. Um, you know, he's not always a willing passer, but he's become a better passer. And I think he's better at making reads to shooters, to cutters, um, just kind of making decisions out of the pick and roll, you know, the short roll, all that stuff. I, I think he's gotten better at, but at the same time, if you do look at him from a per 36 perspective, he's basically been putting up the same numbers for the last three years. Uh, his efficiency has actually dropped this season. He's posting a career low 59.8 true shooting percentage. I think his previous low was like 62%. So it's been a little bit of a drop. His two-point percentage has dropped. Obviously, he doesn't take threes. So, I mean, I guess that you could just say his field goal percentage has dropped. Um, well, but hold it, on. He takes threes. I mean, he's always <laughs> the guy to heave. For some yeah, he, reason, he's, he's the a one heaver. guy. He is a heaver. Um, but, that, but that, like, you know, I, I think – so for Trez, uh, I'll just say um, – I gave him an A minus. I'll I'll just leave it at, at this. I I gave four A grades. Uh, so Trez got um, you know so Kawhi got an A, PG got an A minus. I'm, I'm giving Trez an A minus. I went back and forth between a B plus and an A minus for Trez. Um, I, again, I think he he's gotten incrementally better, but you know he is posting career highs in points and rebounds. But I think that's directly related to just in playing time increase, not really him necessarily getting better. I will say he's more consistent, but I think my, my questions with Trez are the same things we've talked about. Like defensively, he's a very polarizing player. Like me- metrics don't agree. You you look at a given metric, some metrics paint him as an elite defender. Some metrics paint him as like average to slightly above average. And some metrics paint him as a liability. Like I, I really think of, of all 15 guys on this roster, he might be the hardest guy to kind of peg defensively. And even just talking to scouts and coaches with the Clippers and, and with other teams, like you, you talk to two different people, you're going to get two completely different perspectives on Trez's defense. Um, you know, some people are like, he's a, you know, he's a tough physical big who can bang in the post and he has a seven, four wingspan and he could switch on the guards and wings. And then some people are like, he's a six foot seven backup center. And, and that's the reason why he's a backup center. And when the Clippers face the Jokic's and the Davises and the Gobert's and Embiid's in the playoffs, He's gonna be exposed and and you know really kind of shown for the twenty five minute a night backup center that he probably should be. Um, so I, I think that like now that being said, to me he's the, probably the sixth man of the year. I think he's been better than Lou. I, I think if the Clippers have a candidate, it's Trez. Um, he he I think he is better than last season, but not by much. And overall, though, he's been durable. He's only missed one game. I think the Clippers have really needed his scoring on nights when Kawhi or PG has been out. And obviously there's been nights, both of them have been out. Um, and there's even been nights lose out. And, and I think Trez has been the one kind of steady presence offensively for this team. 
So he is he flawed? Yes. You know, we can pick apart his game all we want. But overall, I think Trez has been one of the steadying presences for this team. And for that, I'm going to give him an A-. minus. Well, now I feel awful because I gave him a B. That, that's fine. I mean, look, I almost gave him a B plus and I totally see a B. Like, I'm not, I'm not that, that's fine. So <clears throat> he's been a net neutral defensive player this year. They're basically the same with him on compared to off. Now, the one interesting thing has been in their, basically their closing lineup, which features uh, Montrez Arrow, Lou Williams, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, when everyone's healthy, they're plus 23.0 in net rating in a hundred minutes. And their defense, I believe, is their defensive rating, I believe, in that time is under 90. So they've been incredible defensively, even with what I would perceive as two not, not even above average defenders in Lou Williams and Montres Harrell, but they're getting it done. And the reason I gave him a B, and it's possibly, maybe I'm being too harsh, but last season he shot 65% inside eight feet. This season, it's down to 62%. And he's he's basically eschewed. He used to have this running right-hander where he would start on the left block and running right hand into like the little float hook that he used to use all the time last season. I haven't really seen that this season. And it was such a deadly weapon for him. This season, he's started this little about eight to nine foot floater or push shot that I just, it's not great. And I think that's also been a large part of why his efficiency has dipped, especially around the rim, is because there are moments, especially he did it to Cleveland at, uh, a little bit, but he also did it in that Knicks game where when he decided he wanted to go through Mitchell Robinson, he did. And I think that's the Montrez Harrell the Clippers need. The, the brute force, the thudding guy who, you know what, I might be 6'7", but I'm still going to dunk on you. It doesn't matter how big and strong you are. That's the guy I think they need. But to your point, he has been the most consistent guy. He's been there night in and night out. Outside of the one night that he missed due to the flu, he's been there. And I think consistency matters. Like showing up every day is a big deal. It's a big part of everything. And he has not really missed time. So when you can rely on a guy like him, it's a positive for the entire team. They know that guy is going to be there through thick and thin. And with Montrez, they're three points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor. So obviously that's a big deal. You know, if you're outscoring teams with somebody on, that's good. And all of that is on the offensive end, which you would expect because he is a good and talented <laughs> offensive player. It's going to be curious, though, how they decide to go forward with him in the offensive ecosystem because the biggest gripe I've had, and it really... His defense has been solid, but not great to me. But the biggest gripe I've had has actually been with his passing or lack thereof. I feel like he's regressed as a passer compared to yeah. last season on the short roll. He's become extremely tunnel vision at times. And I understand why, because when you are that good around the basket, you genuinely just think you can score no matter the situation. But there will be a guy standing wide open at the perimeter, and it's like, well, you can pass to him and get an open three. It's like rather than, you know, taking on two or three defenders at one time. So I do think that he can get better in the passing and uh, general acumen department when it comes to the short roll. But it does give me hope because last season, especially in the second half of last season, 
when they put that burden on him and gave him that task of being that guy on the short roll to make decisions, he showed he could do it. So I, I know it's there. He just has to show it on a more consistent basis. And, you know, I think it's, I think he's going to do it. I think there is going to be an uptick from him in the second half of the year. So, yeah, I think to your point, um, and that, that's what I, I tried to say, but I think you kind of just said it better. Um, I, I think his passing itself has been has gotten better. He's just a less willing passer. So, like, I feel like he's he's made reads I haven't seen him make before. But overall, he's probably been you know, not even probably like he he has been more ball hoggish, more you know tunnel visiony. Where he, like I, I so I guess it, it almost negates the kind of improvement because I do feel like I've seen him make some reads that I just haven't really seen from him at least consistently. Um, but kind of to your point, like he has not been sharing the ball as much as he probably should, and and that's where um, you know you could become a better technical passer without actually passing more, which I guess is, is how I'd say I, I view him. Um, Lou Williams. Well, I'd see, I'm noticing a trend where I think your grades are a little bit lower than mine. Although I do have a couple low ones at, at the end that we'll touch on. Um, what, what'd you have for Lou? I gave him also a B. Okay. Um, my thing with Lou and it always will be is the defensive end. Now that doesn't yeah. mean I expect him to be some, I don't expect him to be great on that. end. I really don't. It's just, I think even this year he's taken a step back from where he was just last season. Last season, I thought he competed a lot more on the defensive end this season. I think he's taken quite a few possessions off and maybe that's just because of the fact that they have Kawhi and PG. So Maybe it's a subconscious thing where it's like, look, I got these two guys. They're going to save me. So like, it's not a, it's okay if I just take a couple possessions off here and there every time. And he's seen an uptick recently in his production. Uh, ever since the birth of his son, he's been really great. And he shot the ball re- extremely well from three in that time. Um, for the season, he's at 38% from three on five attempts per game. That's something everybody would take out of him. That's a higher percentage from three than I thought he would shoot. He's been very good on catch and shoots. He's been very good. We're still getting downhill to the rim. You know, he's been about what I expect. And that's actually a great thing because, you know, he is a little bit on the older side. But if you're still getting the production that you expect out of a guy on that side, that, that that's fine. So I gave him a B. I don't expect the defense stuff to change. I mean, they're 5.3 points per 100 better with him off the floor defensively. But obviously their defense improves by about two points when he's on. He's technically a net negative. But that's that's understandable because he doesn't play the bulk of his minutes with Kawhi or PG. And when that when they're together, they're very good. So it stands to reason when you put Lou Williams next to really good players, everyone plays really well. But I gave him a B. I don't know how much else to really expect out of him for the season. Maybe he'll shoot a little bit better on twos. Maybe he'll shoot a little bit better around the rim, but I guess we'll I guess we'll find out when we get there. But you know, he's been about what I expect, and that's good. That's good enough for me. So I, I gave him a B plus, and and this is the first uh, this is my first non A letter grade. Um, and and as I wrote, um, to me, because offensively you could actually make the case this is the best Lou has ever been. Um, you know, he's averaging career high in assists. Um, and and you know his minutes, his minutes increased last season, but they've actually pretty much stayed the same. Uh, or actually, no, sorry, they decreased last season, so they've gone back up. So you know, I guess per thirty six, his assists aren't 
better than last season, but overall, you know, counting stats, they are, um, you know, career best three point percentage. And I think him basically averaging 20 and six on this team, like, yes, Kawhi and PG have, have you know, missed the combined 25 games, but I, I still think, you know, what, what Lou has impressed me with is just his ability to adjust to this new role because, you know, in those 18 games that Kawhi and, and PG have been there, I think Lou's maybe missed one or two. He's been the, the clear third option, if not fourth on some nights when, when Trez is the third guy. And I think he's adjusted to it well. Like he's adjusted to it better than I thought. Um, like you said, he, he's been, you know, really impressive as a catch and shoot guy, uh, which I had some doubts about. Um, so offensively, he's actually exceeded my expectations and has been right in line with his efficiency the last couple of years, which were career best years. Um, so again, offensively, he's, he's right where he's been the past couple of years, which I didn't think would be the case necessarily. I thought you could see him maybe dip to like 16, 17 points a night, not, you know, 20, um, or he's at 19.9, but for me, it's the defense. And I think well, it's actually two things. What I've noticed is number one, teams are targeting him more and it's really in teams, you know, um, game plan and just kind of scouting report now that you really have to target Lou and the Clippers can't really hide him. And I think you've seen it in some of the games against better teams where the Clippers have really had to get creative with how they hide him and, and or just taking him out, you know, for defensive possessions for, for Landry or Pat. Um, and I think that's going to be an issue. And, you know, when it's not as much of an issue when you're an eight seed and, you know, you, you just need his offense and it is what it is. But when you're at, you know, a championship caliber level and your weaknesses can be magnified and, and really exploited, you know, teams are going to come for Lou. And if, you know, it's, it, I mean, I just looking at their potential matchups, like I just don't really see where the hiding spot is. And I think, teams can wisely you know he's obviously going to always defend the you know the worst perimeter threat but some of these teams that they're going to potentially face don't really have a great hiding spot and they can use you know if you're playing houston who is he guarding and whoever he's guarding could just go screen for james harden you're playing the lakers maybe he's guarding like kcp or danny green or whatever they can just go screen for lebron and once you're involving him in a you know a ball screen you're going to score or draw a foul like most of the time. And I, I just think he, you know, he's, he's not just a bad defender. He's literally in the conversation for worst defender in the league. Like look at his <laughs> defensive RPM, look at his defensive PIPM. Like he is in that mix for worst total defenders. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it's that bad. And so I think that's a problem. And, and I think the second thing, which is actually something I've talked to some of the people on, on the, like the player development staff about Teams are starting to kind of figure out the Lutrez pick and roll and and you know defend it a little bit like the way the Warriors did in the playoffs, where if you just load up on um you know Lou and Trez and send you know two guys to Trez, you know, basically surround them with three or four guys, Lou is not the you know the the craftiest passer. Lou, you know, for his uptick in assists have kind of been a lot of the same, you know, pocket passes to Trez or like simple kickout passes, but Lou is not. You know, be, both because of his size and, and just his his toolbox, he's not the most creative passer. So I think you've kind of seen it where when teams really load up on that action, um, which is the bread and butter of the second unit, you can't, you know, if you have the right personnel, you can kind of slow them down a bit. And I thought Golden State did a great job of that in, in the playoffs. Um, the, the Clippers have not done a nice job of countering, in, in my opinion. 
Um, you know, that that's I think that's partially why you've seen Jermichael Green and, and Landry Shamit play so many minutes with the second unit. They are trying to alleviate, you know, teams from doing that by saying, we're gonna put, you know, a crap load of shooting. That's also why I think Jerome has played some. Um, even though he can't shoot, which we'll get into, um, you know, the, the theoretical shooting of Jerome, like you, you're trying to load up the shooting around those guys. Um, but to me, that, that so that's kind of the other thing is that Lou's averaging a career high in turnovers this season. And I, I just think overall, the the I think teams are starting to be able to scout Lou a little bit more uh, than they maybe had in the past because he was just this kind of bench player, six man you know, you didn't really have to, you kind of knew, all right, he's going to put up 15, 18 points. Like he kind of does what he does and he's not really the, what we're concerned with. We're concerned with, you know, player one, two or three on the team. But now that Lou's taken a bigger role in LA, I think the scouting report on him ha- has gotten bigger and, and teams are more kind of conscious of his deficiencies. And for the Clippers at a championship level, when you're closing games with him, last seven, eight minutes of a close game against a really good opponent, I do have legitimate concerns with really with him and Trez, but you know, with him defensively, it's just like, I I just don't know what the answer is. Um, And again, that's why I've, I've been saying all season. I think you maybe get to the point where you're not closing games with Lou and you're going with, you know, Landry or Pat as that guard, just because they're better defensively and they're, they're better kind of, you know, off ball guys offensively. So, um, but, but mainly it's the defense and, you know, so I, I don't know where you fall on, on that, but that to me is my biggest concern with Lou. You know, it's really interesting because you brought up something that I have been wanting to talk about for a while. I don't feel that the Lou Trez pick and roll has been as good as it was last season. And I feel like that step back uh, from them, at least in that one aspect of the game, has somewhat not, well, it should I shouldn't say it has, it's hurt the team, but I feel like it's, it's kind of hurt some of what they want to do because teams have ganged up on it and they know now like, Hey, look, when Lou and Trez are in, we know what's going to happen. And that also might be why the, what I've dubbed the fearsome foursome, which is those two and Kawhi and PG. Maybe that's why that lineup's been so good is because the Clippers have adjusted to what other teams are trying to do to stop just that one action, but you can't do that when you have Kawhi and PG in there. And it's going to be really interesting over the next half of the season to see how Lou and Trez kind of combat that problem that teams have now presented them of just clogging the paint whenever Trez goes to set a screen because Lou's got to start making passes to people other than Montrez Harrell. That's just the reality of the situation. If Trez runs up and sets you a ball screen and he rolls and three guys go with him, you got to make some other pass to someone else. And it, it, it begs to see whether or not he can do it. You know, with them two on the floor, they're at 108, 111.8 points per under possessions offensively. So obviously they've been, you know, really good. Like that's what they do. Um, it's just going to be curious to see a, how the Clippers find ways to mitigate his impact defensively on the negative side of things. And then how to, how to get him to a more positive side of the ledger when it comes to passing on pick and rolls to Montrez Harrell, because this season more than any, we've seen Montrez not be as dependent on Lou Williams. Yeah. And that's been a big change compared to last season. Cause last season, I'm not going to say Lou spoon fed him, but a lot of Montrez's stuff came from Lou Williams pick and roll. 
And this season, I don't feel like that's really been the case. And the Clippers are going to have to figure those two things out, how to limit lose impact defensively and how to greater expand the, the deadly arsenal that those two can have on the offensive end. All right. I think it's time now to get into the real player. Everyone's been waiting for the big man himself, Mr. Zublaka, Avica Zubats. Um, you know what I gave him an A plus. No, um, <laughs> I, I gave Zoo an A minus and that, that completes my A's. So to recap quickly, um, I have Kawhi and A, uh, Trez, PG, and Zoo, all A minuses, and then Lua B plus. Um, and the reason I gave Zoo, so I would say my grading isn't super consistent in terms of like it wasn't like I gave the grades in terms of best player because that would be you know probably Kawhi A, PG A minus, Trez B plus, you know Lou B. Like I, I didn't really view it that way. Um, I viewed it a multitude of factors of, you know, kind of conventional expectations, my own personal expectations, um, sort of their role, uh, like their theoretical role and then their actual role and kind of how they've navigated that. And, and to me, Zoo has really done everything that's been asked of him. And, you know, the fact that he's only playing like, I, and I even have it in my, in my story, like if Zoo were playing, you know, um, 20 to 25 minutes a night, I totally think there's a chance I would have given him a lower grade because maybe his efficiency would be lower or some of the on-off stuff would be worse. Um, maybe he'd average more fouls or whatever. Um, his per 36 numbers would drop. But the fact that he's only playing 17 minutes, I think actually kind of helps his case because he's been so damn good. I mean, he, he's averaging, you know, his per 36 is 17, 14, and two blocks. Like he, and I think, one of the like what people don't really give him credit for and acknowledge is that everyone talks about the Clippers need a center, they need an upgrade. Um, to me, that's complete BS. That's overblown. Like, yes, I think in a perfect world you would have another. You probably only have Zoo or Trez, and the other center is kind of a better combination of the two, just more of a two-way guy. Um, where Zoo's a limited, you know, a bit limited offensively, Trez is a bit limited defensively. So you, you probably would want another big who has a better balance of the two. But I think they could just get by fine with 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 Trez and Zoo. They just got to play Zoo more. And to me, he's already one of the league's better rim protectors and rebounders uh, on both ends. But you know, particularly the, the offensive end. But but you know, defensively, he's a really good rebounder. He's the best rebounder on the team. Um, and he's 11th in you know field goal percentage defense right now, tied with Rudy Gobert, ahead of Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, and Miles Turner. Now his attempts are going to be a little bit lower because obviously he's not playing as much. But there are guys up there like you know Robin Lopez, uh, Goga Batazzi, who you know aren't playing as much as Zoo. So it's it's kind of it kind of evens out where almost any way you kind of spin it, he is in that top 10 rim protector mix, and I think. Again, he, he's done it. He doesn't really play, you know, um, out of his comfort zone. He he screens, he he passes, um, you know, he does a lot of DHO stuff that really well. He rolls, he drops back when defending the pick and roll, and he defends the paint and, and rebounds. And, and that's what Zoo is supposed to do. And I, I think as the Clippers start to look at some of the top teams that they're going to be facing come playoff time, I, I think specifically – the Bucks, the Lakers, the Sixers, the Jazz, and the Nuggets, 
I think Zoo is the better center in, in those matchups. Um, I, I know Trez can still put up 18 to 20 against most of those teams, but when you're really looking at it, like, you know, I, I think we, we saw it in the second Bucks matchup. Zoo played more. He played 24 minutes against Brook Lopez and Giannis. I don't think you can have Trez as the rim protector against Giannis. For as good as Trez was that first game against Milwaukee, and, and he really took it to them uh, defensively, if he's your last line of defense against Giannis, I'm very concerned with that. Um, you know, the Lakers, I, I think Trez has actually done solid in the post against the Lakers, but I, I still think that's a Zubats matchup. Uh, Sixers, we ha- you know, we have not seen the Clippers play the Sixers yet. I think Joel Embiid will eat Trez alive. Um, I think that's a Zubats matchup. The Jazz, we, we've seen it. You know, Rudy Gobert, like, Zoo has actually played Rudy Gobert pretty well um, and, and, you know, kind of gone toe-to-toe with him, uh, you know, for stretches there. I, I think, you know, that, that's a Zoo matchup. And, and the Nuggets, I, I mean, I just wrote about it, but, um, you know, Zoo, I thought, defended Jokic really, really well. And you saw the, the you know, the points in the paint, uh, Jokic's shooting, uh, just the, the attempts in the paint um, when Zoo was on the floor versus when Zoo was off. Um, and it's something we talked about on Twitter and and Twitter DMS, like it's just, you know, I don't really know what else zoo can do. Uh, I think there are some bad matchups for him. I think the Rockets is a bad matchup. Um, when teams, you know, play small ball, play a lot of pick and roll, um, you know, you, you can kind of run him off the floor. I think if the, that warriors team still existed, it would still be an issue for him. Uh, but zoo to me is one of the best rebounders in the league. One of the best rim protectors and is an underrated offensive player. I actually think the gap between him and Trez is smaller offensively than it is defensively. Um, so for that, I'm pro zoo. I think he needs to play more minutes and I gave him an A minus. You and I actually are in agreement. I gave him an A minus as well because, and look, Brian Seaman has put it perfectly. He is a star in his role. And at the end of the day, you need guys who know what their role is and to excel at it. And he does. He absolutely stars in his role. He protects the rim. Uh, opponents for the Clippers when he is on the floor, there's no really change. There's no real change in terms of shot frequency at the rim. But opponents are shooting worse at the rim with him on, which makes sense because he's their best rim protector. When teams play their best rim protector, odds are they're not going to be giving up as many shots at the rim in terms of makes. The other interesting thing has been that the three point frequency of teams has been down, and so has. Uh, the accuracy, I believe. So when team when teams are shooting worse at the rim and not shooting as many threes against you, that means that guy's making a difference. He's pushing everything more into the mid-range. And I think that's something that should have been talked about more uh, when it comes to just the value that he brings. Because shot profile data is one of the is one of the most important things. You you don't want to give up shots from high efficiency areas. And he is stopping layups and dunks to for the most part. Uh, and he's making teams th- like have second thoughts and second guess themselves on passes out to threes. And now that they're taking more mid range shots with him on the floor, that helps the Clippers defense. And we see that in the numbers when they've been 2.2 points per hundred possessions better defensively with him on the floor. Uh, opponents are shooting 12.7% less inside of six feet against him than they normally would shoot against everyone else. These are things that are measured. Like, this tells you what he does. The other thing, though, that I don't think can get measured adequately enough is just how good his screens are for Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. I know there's screen assists and there's screen data, but just watching the two of them, there's a chemistry there. 
I genuinely think Kawhi likes having Zubats on the floor with him because he can screen guys out of his way and get him more uh, room to fire up either a mid-range jumper going downhill or stepping into a three. These are things that he does to help the team on a game-to-game basis, whether or not he's getting uh, 16 minutes or, or like in the last game, I believe he got the second most minutes he's ever gotten in a game this season. These With the Vita Zubats, I think the biggest hurdle for him is foul trouble because he's fouling, I believe, like almost five times per 36 minutes. So it's hard for him at times to stay in the game. And he does kind of get a raw deal sometimes from the refs where he thinks he's vertical and they say he's not. But at the end of the day, you got to stay out of foul trouble to stay in the game. And I do think that's an area for him to improve. But where he has improved also is just making baskets. I feel like it's night and day compared to where the Clippers where he, yeah, where he was last season with the Clippers. Now, granted last season with the Clippers, he had hand issues this season. He hasn't had any of that. And he has a career high field goal percentage as a result. And he's been stronger around the hoop. And when he does miss around the hoop, genuinely, he actually gets the ball back and goes right back up. This is a guy that they're going to have to play, especially in the postseason, as you said, when they face either uh, the Milwaukee's, the, the the Lakers, Philadelphia, Utah, as you said, Denver, like those are teams he has to play against. I thought he did fine against Nikola Jokic. I thought he was a big force in that game when it came to stopping Denver from actually getting into the paint or when they got into the paint, they would miss. And I think he's a guy that when the playoffs roll around, he has to play at least half the game. Because if he's not playing half the game, that puts a greater burden on everyone else to pick up the slack of interior defense. And as we've seen, and it makes sense, when the interior defense breaks down, the perimeter defense will break down around it because when guys get into the teeth of the defense and into the paint and everyone comes to help and they collapse too far, we're going to see passes out to three. And, you know, you'd rather not have to deal with that. So I think Zoo's going to have to be a half of the game player at least going forward. Cause when you get to the postseason, he's going to have to show up. And I think he can, as long as they give him the chance. Yeah. And, and I, I think that you, you definitely touched on something that is important to note with zoo is that I think there was a perception last season, really because of his hand injuries that he couldn't catch passes. He couldn't finish. Um, and, and that was true to an extent because he was dealing with, um, you know, a broken finger and some torn ligaments in his hand in, you know, in both like, you know, one in each hand. And that really did compromise. I mean, he probably should have sat out, um, you know, a few weeks and decided to play through it. And that ultimately, I think, kind of tanked the perception of him offensively. But as a role man, you know, with Kawhi, with PG, I think with Lou, like we've barely seen him with Lou, but um, even with Lou, like, I think he can actually do a lot of the stuff Trez can do. Obviously, you know, he's not the scorer Trez is. He's not the offensive bull that Trez is. He can't take guys, you know, face up and take guys off the dribble that way. But, you know, if, if you can feed him a pocket pass and he can catch it with some kind of space to go up, he can finish. He can draw fouls. He's a better free throw shooter than Trez. Um, he has that hook shot in the post uh, and, and in the paint. So I think Zoo and he's got a he's got a little bit of a jumper. Like we we've seen it from him. He can stretch out to 16, 18 feet, doesn't do it much. Um, but I'm actually more confident between the two of him and Trez. Um 
I'm more confident in Zoo shooting and Zoo becoming ultimately a pick and pop center. Because at the end of the day, I think in an ideal world, you could play uh, Zoo and Trez together. I think there are probably a couple matchups with the Lakers being one of them where you theoretically could play them together at least defensively. But the the bigger issue is the offensive end where you know neither one can really comfortably shoot out past 12, 14 feet. Trez has actually regressed as a shooter this season, which I think has been a really odd development when you know, I, I know he worked on his shot. I went to one of his workouts over the summer. Um, his shot looked good. It looked better. And yet, his mid-range shooting has, has come. You know, it's not just fallen off. Like he's gone from like, uh, you know, I think he was mid-thirties last season to like mid-teens. Like he's fallen off a cliff uh, as a shooter this season. I think he's only um, made like two shots outside the uh, paint all season. It, yeah, it's it's not been good. So, um, I you know with, with Trez, you know, so I, I think. Where I'm going with that was just like, I think ultimately you'd ideally like to play both at the same time, but just because of this, you know, I think it's more the offensive end than even the defensive end. I, th- I think Trez can defend some fours. He can't defend, you know, uh, I wouldn't even say most, but he can defend some fours, um, especially teams that go bigger, like a Denver, uh, like, like a Lakers, like a Sixers, um, where, where you are playing kind of more of a traditional big at the four. Um, but it's the offensive end where you can't really play them together. Um Let's touch on one more player, and then I'm considering I'm considering breaking this into a part two. I, I think that would make more sense with how long we've already gone, and then um, we'll we'll finish. You know, we'll, we'll do the part two after this. But um, yeah, let's go, Pat. Um, so, Pat, I, I mean, now that I know some of your grades, I'm, I'm guessing this is also like I'm guessing overall my grades going to be a little bit higher. I gave Pat a B, um, and. Uh, I'll start with that. And then what's your grade? And, and you can start with the analysis for him. I actually also gave him a B. Okay. I, I, f- I feel he's been good. And I feel like the first 11 games of the season, he wasn't good. Like at least as a shooter, he was seven of 46 from three in that time. But over the last 22 games, this is obviously the last two thirds of the season that he has played. He's taking four and a half threes a game. and He's making 42% of them. This is basically what he did last season where he started off horrifically from three. And then, you know, December 1st came around last year and he just was a monster from three. And this season it happened and he started this in mid November and he's been great. Now to be fair, I do have issues with him, which I'll get into in a second, but I do want to talk about the positives where he brings something that not even Montrez Harrell can bring we talk about energy a lot. Like Montrez brings energy and this stuff. Pat brings confidence. And I think that's what the team has missed in a lot of games. Like he missed the Sacramento game and the Detroit game and the Memphis game. And granted, he played the Knicks and the Warriors game and the Nuggets game where they lost on the road. But there's something to it where just having him, having him on the floor, diving for loose balls, hustling for extra rebounds, Little things. It actually, I believe, instills a confidence in the team that, look, this guy's not going to let us lose. I'm not going to let us lose now. And that's a thing I think every everybody on the squad can kind of rally and get behind. Now, at the end of the day, I haven't liked his defense. That kind of startlingly has been the one area I've not liked the most. He has been blown by quite a bit. 
He's sometimes fallen asleep on the on the backside of plays. But you kind of live with that, I guess, because of how much of a menace he is. He fouls a lot. That's what he he's he knows he's allowed to foul a lot because they have all these other guys who can make it up even if he comes out of the game. So he's been over aggressive, and I think it's led to some issues this season. However, you kind of need him to be aggressive because you need to let Pat be Pat. And he's a bulldog. He's been great on the boards. It's kind of insane to see this guy who's six feet one, and that's on a good day, averaging six rebounds a game. You know, he's had like the game against Boston, he had 16. He had 12 in that game against Toronto, 12 against Indiana, 11 against the Warriors. He was an assist shy of a triple-double in that game. He doesn't stop, and that's what the team needs. And it generally feels like Kawhi Leonard likes him because of that, because he competes on every possession. And it sounds simple, but if Kawhi Leonard likes him, I think everyone should like him. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I feel like his defensive numbers have been slightly better than last season. Like you, you've almost seen more of an impact, um, like in, in just in terms of his, his net rating, um, the defensive rating with him. Now that being said, he pl- you know he plays with the starting unit, which is a very defense heavy lineup. And, and anytime you're playing with Kawhi and Zoo, uh, the defensive numbers are going to be pretty good. Uh, but I, you know, I, I don't have much to add based off what you said. I think um, I still don't love his shot selection, uh, and I, I think I think like you you see Pat's confidence carry over um, into some bad habits where it's the reaching and aggression defensively. Where like you know he has so many plays where he'll reach like two or three times, clearly foul the guy, the ref won't call it, and then on like the fourth time, the ref just calls it, and it's like. Pat, like it's, it's good, you know, that occasionally, you know, maybe one or two out of 10 times will result in a steal, but the other seven, eight times you you're either about to get blown by because you're too high up on the guy and don't have the lateral quick, uh, quickness to recover, or you're just going to pick up a stupid foul. And, you know, he, I, I don't think he's done it as much as he did last season. Like it felt like last season, every other game, he'd pick up two fouls within the first like three or four minutes. He still had some games like that, but I think, I think he's kind of, reined it in a little bit. And, and that was something that he and doc talked about before the season was, was him trying to rein his emotions in a little bit. You know, you're never going to fully do that, but um, you know, he just, you need him out there, right? He, he's one of um, you know, the teams like, like you, I mean, compared to like Lou or compared to Landry's defense recently, or, or compared to you know some of the other guys, like you want his defense out there um, especially towards the end of games. But you got to find that balance. Um, and, and then on the offensive end, I think he's someone who can be goaded into some bad shots where um, his runner and his floater, which last season was really inefficient and his field goal percentage skyrocketed after he started stopped taking them. This season is actually making that shot more than last season, but still I feel like defenses don't really respect him. I think overall the starting unit has a problem where they basically have three guys that no one's guarding in terms of Zoo, Mo, and Pat, and everyone's loading up on Kawhi and PG. And, you know, with Zoo, that will sometimes result in offensive rebounds, dunks out of the pick and roll and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it's easier to kind of stick with Zoo just because he's always around the rim. So you're going to have someone there. But with Pat and Mo, guys just completely play off them. They ignore them. They dare them to shoot. And Pat is a willing shooter if given space. Um, you know, he's not one of these guys that struggles with confidence. So I think when he's hitting it, 
it's looked great, but he does have a tendency to take some bad shots in my opinion. Um, you know, he will take occasionally pull up twos and it, it just doesn't look great. Um, so for me, I, I think some of you, you take the good with the bad with Pat, some of the good leads to the bad, um, uh, you know, like Doc talked about giving him the keys to the offense, the playbook. That is not translated whatsoever. His assist numbers aren't different. His assist percentage isn't different. Um, the team's offensive rating is a little bit better with him on the floor. Uh, but again, he is playing a lot of minutes with Kawhi to, to start the first and third and to close games. Um, so the offense is going to be better when, when you're playing with Kawhi and Lou and Trez a lot. Um, but it seems like, I guess, at this point, Doc trusts him as the fifth closer. Um, he's the guy who's closed games the most in that fifth spot. Obviously, we know that the you know that core four guys, uh, but the, the fifth spot has vacillated a bit. It's been Pat, it's been Landry, it's been Mo, it's been Jamichael a little bit more recently. Um, but it seems like Pat kind of has the spot most consistently. Um, and and the one thing with Pat, like you said, I think it's not only the confidence, but this guy just makes things happen. And you saw it at the end of the Lakers game on Christmas, you know, getting that strip on LeBron or block, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, but timely offensive rebounds to, you know, in, in uh, you know, crunch time, um, drawing charges, uh, just, just doing the little things that, um, you know, I think this team has gotten away from sometimes where you don't always see everyone on this roster consistently trying and consistently doing those things. Pat is the one guy you can count on on a nightly basis. Now, to your point, defensively, he, he's not been the same the last couple of years. His quickness isn't the same. There's a reason the team rarely puts him on point guards. They prefer Mo Harkless on point guards. Um, even Paul George is, you know, kind of defended smaller guards more than than Pat. They like putting him on wings where they think he can kind of get into their legs and, and pressure them. And the quickness thing isn't as much of a disadvantage. Um, but yeah, like overall, I think his, his effectiveness on the court probably isn't what people think it is. Um, you know, he is a worse defender, I think, than the average, you know, probably Clipper fan thinks. But um, you, you can't really measure his impact in the locker room, his impact on the court in terms of leadership is vocal, just his vocalness, his, his confidence, all that stuff, um, I think almost makes him more impactful than the numbers would suggest. So, and, and but with that being said, he is second on the team in net rating um, differential with with a plus 3.8. So he is having an impact, you know, he, he is a positive on this team. Yeah, I think that's the thing too, is even with, I would say his deficiencies defensively at times, with the with the overreaching, the fouling, you know, getting beat at the point of attack, etc. Like he he helps, and you need guys who help in order to help you win, and that's what he does. And I have three interesting Patrick Beverly facts. You mentioned his floater; his floater has been really good this season. I looked it up; he's nineteen of thirty four. That's actually incredible for a floater. Yeah. That's he's, good. You know, when you're making over 50% of your floaters, it becomes an actual yeah. weapon. Now, he's not a Tony Luka Parker. Doncic or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. He's, you know, Tony Parker had it. He's not Luka Doncic with the floater. Luka's got a great floater. That's not Pat Bev, but, you know, Pat's been good at them. One of the other interesting things has been, obviously, you said it, with Kawhi and Zoo on the floor because he plays so much with the starters, obviously the defensive rating is going to be good. In the 380 minutes that those three have played together, Kawhi Leonard, Zubots, Patrick Beverly, defensive rating of 103.2. In the 220 minutes Beverly's played without both guys, it's 106.7, which isn't awful, 
it's just not great. And any, t- but it also shouldn't be shocking to some degree when you take out two really good defenders, your defense kind of isn't as good anymore. Yeah. But what the, the, the most interesting fact though, Ivica Zubats has taken more long twos this season than Patrick Beverly. Really? I, I did that. That's Zubats is six of Zubats is six of seven from 16 to 24 feet. Beverly's only taken four and he's made one of them. The reason I don't I know think, why it feels like it, it seems like he's taken more. I feel like he's taken so some, I have how a, many, how many shots has he taken in like the 10 to 16 feet range though? Maybe that that's so, so he takes a lot of like 19 feet. He's, oh, go ahead. So 10, 10 to 19 feet, he's taken 12, but I have okay. a theory on why it feels like that because quite a bit, he will drive and throw up a floater or kind of hesitate in the mid range. And we tend to remember the ones that don't go well more than the ones that do. Cause as humans, we have the nature to dwell on the negatives more than the positives. And he's yeah. not a good jump shooter inside the arc. He's just not, he's never really has been, he's been good from beyond the arc, but that's, that's just more of his range. Now he has taken pull-ups. I do remember he took one, I believe against Cleveland where he took a pull-up mid-range and along the baseline, I was just like, yeah, kind of not do that again. And so I kind of understand. I, I think, I think you're right. I think, yeah. it's He's an interesting archetype of a player that I think championship teams need. They have this guy who can get downhill. He's shooting 59% inside of eight feet. He can get downhill. He can finish at the rim. He can finish with a floater. He can shoot the three. Obviously, like I said, the last two-thirds of the season, he's been so, – I can't even think of an adjective to describe how good he's been there. But he's a guy you need. And it's kind of funny because they don't use this system anymore. He is the perfect triangle system point guard. And yeah. I feel like Phil Jackson would kill to have him. That's actually a really good – I mean, he's got he, – he's Derek Fisher-esque – Right. Like, like, I mean, there's, I mean, I'm making it sound like Derek Fisher was this great player, but like, like there are similarities between him and Fisher in terms of like basically three and D point guards, you know, you can play them like Beverly was at his best really alongside James Harden as that kind of three and D guard where you, you know, he could defend the better of the, the one or the two in the backcourt, take that pressure off of Harden. And then offensively, could do some secondary playmaking, but wasn't really a traditional point guard, um, more of a spot-up shooter, which worked great for Harden. And I think that's kind of what Fisher's role was offensively with Kobe, where you know he wasn't really, uh, you know, could make simple reads, could, could do some playmaking, but really Kobe was running the show and Fisher was spotting up around it. And then defensively, um, you know, he was a capable defender who could pressure the ball and, and do that type of stuff. So I think there's some similarities there. You know, you could mention Brian Shaw, Ron Harper, those types of guys um, who had success uh, in, you know, Phil Jackson's system. So, yeah, no, I, I think that that's a great comparison that I hadn't really thought of. You you need guys who make winning plays. Like, I always have a phrase, do they make stuff happen? He makes stuff happen. And those are the guys you can't put an actual value on because a lot of what they do isn't seen in traditional box scores or anything like that. It's on the margins. 
it's it's in the plays you're not paying attention to or the ones that you know if you go to find video for you have to watch the whole game to get what you need and that's what i think kind of makes him special he's a very unique player to where i don't think there's another player on the team who could do what he does that can be selfless to the point of look i don't need you know, I don't need eight, eight to 10, eight to 12 shots a game to get what I need. Like if I take five, one the game and I take nine, the next, like that's fine. And in some ways it's kind of PJ Tucker-ish where he knows his role. He plays it to an exquisite level and it's just very hard to replicate what he can do with the concoction of talent you already have. And if you didn't have him, it would kind of throw what you do have into a little bit of, you know, of this hodgepodge of just guys who don't know what to do he and i this is a very roundabout way of saying he's the ultimate glue guy that's what he is he he brings that locker room together he's the guy everyone looks at to to basically get the team going and fired up without him they are not at their peak emotionally and i think the emotional level matters a lot to this specific core of guys. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, and again, I, I think as you said, you know, last season, he really was the captain of this team had a rational confidence last season, right? Like they, they never thought they were out of a game. They didn't care who they were going up against. And I think that was kind of the, the team and locker room DNA, but that really was personified by Patrick Beverly specifically because he, you know, he was gonna go at LeBron James and and let you know that the Clippers were the best team in LA, um, and ruined the Lakers' playoff chances as he did the last season, um, or you know was a part of doing last season. Um, so I, I think Pat, you know, th- he's given them he's he's kind of that wild card. Um, I think the thing for him to just you know, or f- my monitoring of him moving forward is he's shooting thirty three point eight percent overall on threes this season which is almost 6% worse than last season. As you said at the beginning of this segment, um, he is trending upward, uh, you know, the last 20 games or so. But, I, you know, that's my one concern of like, if he stays in that 33, 34, 35 range versus the 39, 40 range he was at for most of last season after the slow start, um, you know, that kind of changes, I think, how playable he is because he's going to get open looks um, now, look, he did hit that big shot against Boston, you know, basically the game winner, and he he has hit some some big threes this season. But um, I think ultimately his playability at the end of games, if the Clippers don't make another move for another wing to kind of um, you know kind of slide into that closing lineup, uh, I think it, it maybe it ends up being Pat, maybe it ends up being Landry. Um, but if he's not shooting the ball well. He's a bit of an offensive liability, in, in my opinion, especially with the other four guys he's most likely going to be playing with. Um, so that's just something to monitor. I think he needs to get his, you know, continue the good shooting, continue trending upward as a three-point shooter. And if he could do that, we know what else he's going to, you know, we know what he's bringing defensively. We know what he's bringing in terms of his intangibles, his intensity, all that stuff. So um, if he gets a three-point shooting up, like, you know, th- that's the Pat Beverly you want. That's the Pat Beverly this team needs. Um, and really, it's kind of a, a team-wide thing where I think this team needs better shooting. But um, we can get into that in part two. Let's wrap up part one. Um, anything else you wanted to say on those six guys? It's really interesting because you brought up the irrational confidence of last year's team. 
And some of those guys are obviously gone. There's no Shea. There's no Gallo. Things have changed. You know, um, I think the team is still trying to find their footing as a collection of players and individually. Some roles have changed. Lou Williams, while he is allowed to go out there and kind of have control of everything, and if he wants to take a shot, by all means, go for it. I don't think it's to the same level as last season. I think he's trying to navigate that tightrope. And with Montrez Harrell, I kind of feel it's the same way, where they knew last season, look, just let Montrez go nuts and we're fine, but this season is not needed as much. And it's a culture shift. As much as, you know, Doc's right. Last season's last season. We can't keep talking about it in terms of like, well, you know, there's a lot of guys still. and But every season's different. Every team is different. Every... Every player is different on a season-to-season basis in terms of their role and stuff like that. One of those guys who you'll get into in part two is Landry Shamit. His role's changed. But the irrational confidence of the team, I think, is something they need to get back to. Where, look, if you just keep playing hard for 48 minutes, who knows what can happen? You know, Patrick Beverly is the leader of that. He's never had a losing season in his entire career. doesn't matter if it was in college, NBA, or international. When guys don't lose, when guys haven't had a losing season, they don't know how to lose. It's like, it's what I've kind of dubbed the Draymond Green effect. You know, you get these guys who all they've ever done is win. They find ways to win. You know, it's the old adage, winners win. This group of guys has the ability to win something. And the six that we've profiled are their biggest six in terms of impact to that end goal. And they're going to need each one of them to step up in various ways, you know, improve on little things here and there. So it's going to be interesting to watch for the last half of the season where the schedule has lightened up now to see what these players do, to see the roles that they've kind of finally realized, like, look, this is what I have to do. I got to make it work. And it's, it's, it's rather, I guess, refreshing in a way that you don't know what's going to happen. Last season was kind of the same thing, but you always knew like, Hey, like whatever, like this team's not going to go far. Like, you know, they were what they were. This team has the chance to be really special. And it's refreshing to know that I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know what to expect on mostly a game to game basis at times, but I find it rather endearing because the thrill of the unknown in human nature is so cool. Like it can, it can, it can excite you. It can terrify you. It can do all sorts of things. And for this team, I hope it excites them because I'd rather be excited than terrified. And (laughs) this team has the ability to do some very exciting things as the season goes along. And as the calendar flips to the postseason. and I hope they put it together because they're going to need to. We are in agreement, sir. Um, where can people find you on the Twitter sphere? Uh, and so on, where can people find your Patreon? So on Twitter, you can find me at, at flybynight. That's F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. On Patreon, you can find me at Patreon slash flybynight. Uh, I do all my Clipper stuff there. Uh, I went there about a month and a half, about a month ago, actually now and stuff like that. But obviously I still live tweet games and do stuff like that. So I do have something planned where I am going to take a overall focus of what I think the team needs to do 
going forward in terms of like moves or anything like that, but that's obviously for another time. So just look for that on my Patreon in the coming days. Well, thank you for coming on for part one. Uh, If you enjoyed this, be on the lookout for part two. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, I don't know what you're doing, but you can subscribe on theathletic.com slash Clip City, which will help this podcast, will help me out. Or you can just subscribe off one of my articles, which will also help me out directly. So if you have not subscribed but are enjoying this podcast content, I think you'll enjoy my work. I think you'll enjoy our Clippers coverage overall, our NBA coverage. And I think you should check us out at the least for our seven-day free trial. Thank you guys and be on the lookout for part two.